0: Hey guys, so um, anybody watch that debate the other night? That was not a uh, Lincoln-Douglas affair, that's for sure. As one reporter quipped afterwards, that was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. And I guess at this point in the culture that we all find ourselves living in, I mean, let's be honest, I guess what else would we expect? It's funny, I, I like to switch around the news coverage to see what the different sides are saying, but there was unity in the in the lead-up to the debate because everybody pre-gamed it like it was going to be a UFC fight, a war, a bloodbath. You name the uh, adjective, I heard it, and so I guess when it was all over, as I reflected on it, we, I mean, collective, collectively as a people, we we kind of got what we wanted, I guess, and and I guess maybe even a bit scarier a thought for our future is that, that maybe we got what we deserved. Now, I, I'm not gonna get political on anybody. Uh, I, I hope what I'm getting is cultural. Because here's what we know, the divisive vitriolic stuff, it's not limited to one side or party or ideology. Unfortunately, it's just become pervasive at this point. And I I can't help but think of this series that we're in together, The the Faces of Another. How if we as a community church, if we could learn to forgive, accept, care for, encourage, and submit to one another. If we could learn to one another, one another, as prescribed by Jesus and his first century followers. Remember now, over a hundred times in the New Testament. How, well, if we could do that one to another... How in a culture like this, which is really not all that far removed from the divisiveness of Jesus' culture, how we could, like the early church did, look so different. How we'd be so strange and peculiar and yet attractive to, to people outside of the church. In fact, they'd be drawn towards his people, Jesus and his people. Jesus, according to John, who was there and wrote it down, put it this way. A new command I give you. This was a command for his people. Love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. John also heard and wrote down Jesus' final prayer, and that was for our unity, that we would be one, just as Jesus and his Father and the Holy Spirit are one. And why? Why would that be his final prayer? Well, quote, so that they, we, may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Guys, I got to tell you, after the other night, I'm more convinced than ever that Jesus really knew what it, what it was he was talking about. And I understand more than ever why this was his final prayer, love, unity, oneness, guys, that's our brand. That's our peculiarity. It's our chief evangelistic tool. And so with that in mind, so far we've looked at a couple of very difficult topics. Forgiving one another, accepting one another. Not easy for sure, but today it's not going to get any easier because today what we're going to learn is what it would look like for each of us to begin to care for one another, now caring for one another in the scripture is is really more or less a catch all if you will it's a it's a one another catch all There are literally all kinds of verses and stories, teachings, and commands related to this call to care for one another at its core right caring for one another is it's like all the other commands it's a call to action it, 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 we're commanded to to take care, to literally do something, to take care of our families, but not just just our families, widows and orphans, the poor, those inside the church, those outside of the church. And that care was to include meeting people's financial needs, their physical and emotional needs. Now I know, maybe you're hearing me this morning, you're thinking a preacher getting up in front of a church and telling people to care for one another, I mean, that's not gonna make a lot of headlines. But what I want to do today is to to give you a little deeper understanding of what it looks like to care for one another. I want to put some flesh on that once again to show you how Jesus explained it. I want to show you how Jesus did it. And then I'm going to encourage you to go and do the same. The Apostle Paul, many of you know, was a first century Jewish religious leader. And he was steeped in all of the Jewish traditions and rituals. And in terms of keeping the Jewish laws, well, Paul would write that there was no one better. He was the best at knowing the law. He was the best at keeping the law. And quite threateningly to Jesus' young group of followers, right after his resurrection, he was really good at enforcing the law. It was this same Paul, a Pharisee among Pharisees, as he called himself, who set out to squash this embryonic group of Jesus followers shortly after they began to follow Jesus' command to go and make disciples, disciples. In fact, some of you know this. Paul actually participated in the martyring of the first Christian to die for our faith. And yet it was Paul who had a history-making, life-changing, earthquaking. Some would say likely booty shaking in fear encounter with the risen Jesus, which changed him to say the least. And he became the apostle of Jesus' gospel to all of those outside of his Jewish faith, which is just so God, right? So ironic that God would use, in a sense, the Jew of Jews to reach the furthest from God, Gentile. And so, much of your New Testament is filled with these letters of Paul that he wrote to Gentile churches that he had planted all over the first century world. Now, one of them is to a group of churches in a region known as Galatia. Well, Paul's writing to these churches in that region, at this time, there were likely as many non-Jewish believers in Jesus as there were, excuse me, Uh, Jewish, Gentile believers in Jesus as there were Jewish believers in Jesus. And this is sparking a huge debate. We discussed it a few weeks ago. It was eventually settled at what was called the Jerusalem Council. If you were here, you might remember what the debate was about. Historically, the covenant people of God were focused in one ethnic group, Israel. And what set Israel apart from all other groups was their very strict adherence to the laws and the practices that were outlined in the Torah, including very public things, circumcision, kosher eating, Sabbath keeping. And there were many Jewish Christians at the time, if not most, who believed that in order for these non-Jews that Paul was outreaching to be accepted and forgiven by God, they were going to need to begin to embrace and practice all of the laws and the traditions of the Jewish culture and faith. Now, Paul, meanwhile, he's out preaching what he refers to as a different gospel, a gospel of acceptance and forgiveness by God through grace, through God's unmerited favor, his undeserved favor upon all that would believe. Anyone regardless of their background, was, was open to receive this, if they were willing to put their faith in the life, teachings, substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus. And so what would happen is Paul would plant a church founded on this gospel. And then after he left, many Jewish Christians would run into that town and tell everybody that Paul didn't really know what he was talking about. And that everybody there still needed to follow all of the rules and all of the traditions of the Jewish church. Now, Paul, he'd suffered quite a bit in order to fulfill this call of Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, this gets him pretty ticked off. Welcome to the letter that we know as Galatians. If you want to understand how ticked off Paul is about this, you don't have to go any further than this one line from chapter 5 regarding what he calls as these agitators that are, quote, adding circumcision to the faith. He says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Yikes. And why would Paul be that upset? Well, he explains it. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, guys, this is a very big statement here. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith, which is what makes us right with God, but not just faith, faith that is expressed through, faith that results in action. How? What action? Love. He goes on. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, now that you're free from all of these laws, right, can you just go and do whatever it is you want to do, what Paul calls indulging the flesh? Paul would say, of course not. That goes against this one new law of Christ. That would go against the one thing that Paul says counts. I mean, my flesh, just like yours, I mean, my flesh prioritizes me, thinks about me and my needs and my wants and my desires. But Paul says, no, no, no. rather, rather you serve one another humbly in love. And then he goes on again, another bold statement. For the entire law, all of it, is fulfilled in keeping just this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you're familiar with this book, you might know that Paul goes on to describe uh, what a life that's controlled by the flesh and a life that's submitted to the Spirit looks like. Then he says this. This is actually a a more specific C in our faces of another. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want you to stop with me there for a moment. How do we fulfill this one new law of Christ? To love one another as Christ loved us. How do we fulfill this one new command of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves? Well, there's only one way. We carry each other's burdens now carrying one another's burdens carrying one another's burdens that's what kind of puts the weight in the bag of caring for another you see i mean i i can care for you by writing you a check i could care for you by feeling bad for you i can i can care for you by sending along thoughts and prayers And, and please don't think i'm diminishing any of those things Those are ways we care for one another. They matter. But none of these are bearing the burden of another. Because I can do all of those things and never feel your pain. You see, we fulfill the law of Christ to love one another as we willingly choose to bear the burden of one another. Now, that word that Paul's using in Galatians, to, to bear with one another, it means to take up with our hands in order to carry, to uphold or support. It speaks of one who literally takes into their hands the problems of another, who takes their problems, their burdens, and makes them his own. That is a crazy idea. Who would do that? where would paul get a crazy idea like this i mean what why how would how should how could i take on someone else's problems and make them my own well he could have gotten the idea from peter who saw something amazing one day happen in his house and he told it to Mark, who wrote it down, or, or maybe he got it from Matthew, who was likely in the room when it happened, or, or it could have come from Luke, who set out to write an orderly account of Jesus's ministry. And he too found this amazing story so well documented that, yeah, he wrote it down too. Mark, who got the story from Peter, who scholars think how this story happened in, recorded it this way. Jesus entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. So what's going on here? Jesus comes home, he's back in town, and in one sense, the regulars are gathering, and they're gathering in large number. In fact, when people ask me why we, we make folks get tickets for Christmas Eve and Easter and I tell them you should read Mark 2 because we have people coming from out of town. I don't know who they are, who they're bringing and what they, why they need to be here, but I have to make sure that they can get in the door. Now there's a couple of details that we need to, we need to grasp. One, there's a full room, standing room only, you can't get in. But there's a second detail. This is a paralyzed man carried by four men. Luke says that these four men came trying to lay this man before Jesus. Why? Because at its root, at at its core, what they wanted was for their friend to be healed. Guys, in the first century, let alone in this century, being a paralytic, a paralytic laying on a mat, is not an easy life. It's not a good place to be. For years now, when I've gone to Guatemala on our summer trips, one, one day out of, uh, of the week, we, we always go into the ancient city of Antigua. It's a beautiful city, it's an old city, and it's a poor city. And like most cities, at its heart is a, a city square surrounded by shops and churches. It's actually a lot like the green, right, in our own Morristown. For years now, when I've gone into that square, I, I'm drawn My eyes are drawn to this same chilling sight in front of one of the churches. Because in that same spot, year after year, I've run across the same man. He is a paralytic on a mat. To the best of my memory, and some of you could correct me on this because I know you've seen him too, I believe he has no legs and is blind. And he sits there, among the other beggars of that very poor country, looking for someone to help. And i've wondered because i don't know how does he get there every day i'm not sure how he gets home every night it's it's literally a heartbreaking sight to behold and it it always reminds me of this story because there are a lot of things that both men don't have but there has to be one thing that they do have in common and that is they must have some friends someone brings that guatemala man to that market every day someone literally Picks him up and bears his burden. See, this story of Mark exists only because of the same thing the love of friends. Somebody picks this paralytic up for men and they bring him to Christ. See, just like the paralytic in Guatemala, without friends, he never leaves his home. But in Mark's story without friends, he never gets to Jesus. And in both cases, it makes me wonder about who these guys are. Because here's the truth. In 21st century Guatemala and in 1st century Capernaum, it's not easy for paralytics to make friends. They don't fit in. They don't rub shoulders with us so-called normal people. They go to different schools, they can't play sports, they're never going to be in the band or go to school dances. They find it hard to make their way in corporate America or fit in very well at the country club. And if you think it's tough now, it was worse in the first century world of Jesus. See, the Greeks, they regularly disposed of newborn infants with physical uh, abnormalities. Aristotle wrote, quote, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. In Rome during the 5th century, 5th century BC, there was actually a statute on the books, quickly kill a deformed child. And some of you know that in Israel, this man would have suffered from yet another stigma because there was a common assumption that if people were suffering physically, they had bought it on themselves. Some of you know there's another New Testament story. The disciples see a man blind from birth and ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? But guys, the often missed backstory here is that there existed in this man's life, this paralytic's life, four men who clearly did not come to him by accident. One writer put it this way, in the face of formidable obstacles, social stigma inconvenience financial pressure a high cost of time and energy these men chose to become friends they entered into the life the struggle the pain the misfortune heck even in the first century the perception was they entered into the sin and brokenness of another when they didn't have to need to or likely even want to they could have ignored them. heck They should have ostracized them, but they chose another way in order to do what? In order to literally bear, lift up, and carry the burden of another's. Guys, in order to fulfill the law of Christ, what it likely means for you and I is that we are called to, in fact, I'd argue we must, even though we might not want to, we must literally choose to enter the lives of others who have burdens that they're bearing that have nothing to do with us. We didn't cause them. Their burdens are not our fault. In fact, they may be nothing like us. Likely, they have nothing to offer us. We may even perceive them as sinners, but we're called to carry their burdens, to lift them up, to feel the weight of their struggle. And the reality of this situation is that you cannot bear the burden of another unless you make the very conscious decision to draw near to another and feel the weight of what it is they bear. To do what Jesus did, to befriend them. Now fast forward to today. How peculiar would it be if there were a modern-day community that chose to carry one another's burdens. What would it look like in this community, our community? I mean, imagine a community like ours here in Chester, New Jersey, who began to feel and carry the burden of another, much less privileged community. And again, not just feel bad, but carry, take on to themselves the burdens of others. Honestly, we've seen the power of, of that with what Jesus has allowed us to experience with our friends in the Guatemalan City garbage dump in the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, and with the the Resource Challenge families that are our Grace House guests. But guys, what about the burdens of so many others? The immigrants that live amongst us that feel the weight and bear the burden of speaking a different language and, and earning a lot less money, but who are trying to bring up their children in one of the richest communities in America. I mean, imagine, imagine a community where, where white people began to, to feel the weight of what it was like to, to be black in a town that's 95% white. Not all burdens are equal, but, but imagine a community where a people of color could understand and bear the burden of their white brothers and sisters who've been hurt over the indiscriminate labels and charges of being racist. See, this is what it is. This is what it looks like to bear the burdens of one another. And to do that, we have to enter each other's worlds. We have to feel the weight on our shoulders and the load that they've been asked to bear. Because when we do that, when we feel that weight, we begin to understand one another at newfound and very deep levels. I heard somebody put it this way. When we choose to carry someone else's burdens, what divides us diminishes and what unites us, these shared burdens, that's what surfaces. Because when you choose to carry my burden, well, then you're going to have a better understanding of why I think the way I think and why I do what it is I do and believe what it is I believe and, and stand for what I stand for. And when I do that for you, when I, when I carry yours, then I begin to understand Why you stand where you stand too. Guys, these four men, these four friends, they chose to bear the burden of their friend literally with their hands as they carried him from where he lay to the door of Peter's house. They likely, on that walk, in the heat, as their arms got tired, as their feet began to hurt and their backs began to ache, they began to understand because they were able to feel the pain of their friend at a new level, at a personal one. And can I show you what happens when we choose to bear the burdens of one another? Mark says, since they could not get get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. Guys, bearing the burden of another will literally You can see it here. It will take you to another level. It would have just been one thing had they just run into the guy at the door. They probably would have told him how bad they felt for him, that he couldn't get in. If they were like me, they might even have stepped over him in order to try to wedge myself in and get a better look. But not this time, because this time they bore the the burden of their friend. They felt its weight, the pain of his problem, and it drove them literally to another level to do something that they never would have done otherwise. Guys, this is why Paul asks us to do it. Because when we do it, it will drive our love, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, care for others to newfound levels of concern and, and honestly even desperation we won't walk by or over each other anymore. We won't overlook or ostracize. Having felt the weight of the burden of another, we won't be able to, to, we, we would be able to take their needs to another level. And when that happens, excuse me, and what happens? What happens next, it testifies to the power of bearing one another's burdens. Because when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. This is so interesting, because when Jesus saw whose faith? The paralytics? Well, certainly he, he could have been included. It, it wasn't, no, it was no small amount of faith to have your friends drag you up on the roof and lower you through the roof in front of everyone. That's super risky, let alone embarrassing. But Jesus didn't just see his faith. Mark writes that he saw their faith. One writer described the scene this way. Usually healing, usually healing stories speak of Jesus seeing the faith of the one asking for healing themselves or for their child. Here it's the faith, not primarily of the man, but of his friends. Do you have any idea what the faith of one person can do for a friend who's willing to bear their burden They dug a hole through a roof and sent in their friend. There is no record of their saying anything. It's not what he heard that moved Jesus. We're told that he saw their faith. I mean, what did he see? A big hole in the ceiling, four faces in it, likely at this point, sweaty, dusty, anxious, hopeful faces, thinking now only of their friend and trusting somehow that Jesus would respond. Jesus sees a group that possesses and acts on an irrational commitment to the well-being of one of its members. Psychologist Yuri Braun-Ferberner, how's that for a last name, definition of a family applies perfectly here. Quote, a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. The key word, Irrational. You see, in great communities, people carry one another's burdens, people carry one another's mats, and people crash through roofs without asking the question, what's in it for me? How often do you do a little roof crashing? It doesn't have to involve destruction of property, mostly it just involves two things, noticing and doing. Guys, right now, I see very little in the world that surrounds us in terms of noticing the burdens, the mats of another. And I see even less in regards to doing. And so that's what I'm going to ask you to do, to work on. Because to take, because to care for one another is to carry the burdens of one another. This week, would you open your eyes to the burden of your brothers and sisters? Now, I don't know what that is, but I promise you this. If you would ask the Lord, he will show it to you. I mean, you could start at home, ask him to show you the burden your husband's carrying, the burden your wife, your kids, your neighbors are carrying. Even more challenging, and I think would speak even to a broader audience outside the walls of our church, ask him to show you the burden of someone who you would normally walk over, around, shun, despise, or ignore. Ask God to show you their burden. Their load, what they're carrying. So maybe you could see why they do, why they believe, why they act the way they do. And as he does, as he does, will you let that weight sit on you for a bit? I don't know what it is, if it's the weight of racism or bigotry. I don't know if it's the weight of financial burdens or isolation. It could be something as simple as trying to fit in or or be cool or look pretty. There are, are a lot of mats out there that we wind up laying on and carrying. Guys, for their sake, feel the weight for a bit. Walk under it for a while and then having felt it, let it compel you to newfound levels of action. You know why? Because do you know what your faith on behalf of a friend could accomplish Mark's story finishes this way. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Do you know how the Son of Man accomplished that? He did it by bearing the burden of your sin. My sin. Our sin. Our brokenness. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't his responsibility. In fact, in our sin and brokenness, when there was nothing even attractive about us or anything that we had to offer him, he could have walked by or around us. He could have, he should have chosen to shun us. But Jesus chose to become our friends. You know, to do that, his father had to, in one very real sense, lower him through the broken and dirty roof of our existence to come into our world and bear the weight of our crud. To be tempted as we're tempted, rejected as we're rejected, hungry, worried, heck, even homeless. He came and allowed himself to feel the weight of our burdens, to experience and then to understand our plight. And then he took all of those burdens, along with the weight of the beam, a crown full of thorns, and his body broken by our sin, and he did something about it. Bearing our burdens drove Jesus to new heights too. To the hill on top of calvary to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet isaiah he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases and to all who would believe this morning he reiterates in your living room what he said in peter's your sins are forgiven take up your mat and walk friends Mandem Hills, in a world where people are walking by, around, and over one another, can I ask you, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ.